listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm Rebecca Ballantyne, and I'm joined today by... Matt Hendrahan. Brendan Sinclair. Chris Dring. And Marie D'Alessandri. We had uh, quite a bit of news about hardware this week, and to talk about it, I'm going to make Brendan do it, because he wrote the story about the PS5 big ultimate spec reveal. Go ahead, Brendan. Yeah, so the, this week it was supposed to be GDC, and uh, I guess Microsoft and Sony already had plans to, to release some of the info, so they kind of stuck to those. Um, on Monday, we got Digital Foundry uh, releasing just the Xbox Series X specs, and then on uh, Wednesday, if I remember right, Sony had their uh, presentation with Mark Cerny going through some of the features of the PS5 for about an hour, and the the as Rob Fahey pointed out in in uh, an editorial today the the, the kind of takeaway of it is that the uh, Xbox Series X seems to have larger numbers in the direct specs comparison, but the the PS5 has uh, been been designed in such a way that it, it might make uh, more efficient use of what it has to really cut down load times and and kind of uh, change change the experience, even if it's not going to push quite as many uh, flops that we all know and love. Um, does, does anyone actually know what the flops mean? You know floating flops point mean? calculations? They're good. The flops right. are good. Everyone wants yeah. some flops. What does that, does that amount? Yeah, I don't know which part of performance that correlates to. Maybe it's all of it. Yeah, it's... it's uh, I think at least what what Sony was arguing is that it's it's less important these days, which of course is what they'll argue because they just don't have the flops to go against Microsoft. <laughs> uh, but like like Fahey was was pointing out in his editorial, um, I think the interesting thing here is kind of um, the the marketing positioning that that the two companies are doing here with Xbox just dumping specs on people and saying look raw power and then sony taking this i it's gotten a lot of uh criticism from people for being very dry and for not showing the games uh but but cerny's presentation i thought took pretty uh advanced technical concepts and conveyed them in a easy to digest way that was not just it, it wasn't just, oh my gosh, this is going to be a revolution and everything, and it's the most amazing stuff ever. There were certainly some claims of like how this could really fundamentally change games, but they were all kind of couched within caveats of like, okay, but these are the these are the problems we have with this, and this is the compromise that we had to make to get things going here, and like as a as a journalist and as a consumer also like i i appreciated sony's approach um a, a lot more and and i don't want to just like knock microsoft for just releasing the specs but uh i guess more than uh what microsoft talked about the series x uh during their GameStack live show which was sort of their gdc <laughs> replacement of here's all the sessions we would have had at GDC and we're just going to live stream them to you. And it was, um, that one came off as completely substanceless hype. That was like, I don't, I, I couldn't tell who it was for because they just kept talking about 
you know, here's, here's our revolutionary new thing. It's got so much power. Here's, here's a picture of one of the Project X Cloud server blades. And now everyone's going to ooh and all ah over that for five minutes. And it's just, I didn't, I didn't get anything from the Microsoft one. There was no substance to it, but the, the Sony one was, it was, it was actually just kind of, it felt for once, like I was being sold new technology with a kind of a grounded, uh, pitch to it, which is very weird. Well, yeah, I think, I think, but, but I think that we can't discount, um, digital foundry, right? That was, that was part of Microsoft's messaging. They gave a clipped together version of the Xbox Series X to Digital Foundry. Obviously, it's weird because Digital Foundry is part of like the family that gamesindustry.biz belongs to. But that is just as big a part of how they tackled revealing more of the Xbox Series X as the presentations you watched, Brendan, and as Mark Cerny's presentation. That was an exclusive, deliberately handed to Digital Foundry. That's part of their first party messaging. And I think... Digital Foundry's piece was much more along those lines. It was, but but beyond even that, it wasn't didn't even come from a first party mouthpiece, right? It came from a third party organisation. Which, obviously, the whole exclusivity thing. It's not like Digital Foundry's going to call it a big pile of crap, you know, and then put out that article. So uh, it's sort of somewhat, you know, it, it's going to be the Digital Foundry's going to be as nice as it can be about that. But at the same time, there is a there is an air of objectivity about that. Now, I'm not saying that. Mark certainly wasn't even handed and all that sort of stuff. But I do think just comparing Mark Cerny's presentation to the apparently fairly uh, substance-free uh, panels they put out this week uh, uh, from the Xbox team does leave out the, the Digital Foundry stuff, which is an important part of what they actually were doing in terms of messaging as a they as were Those panels were so bad, Matt. Yeah, I just <laughs> I can see the haunted look in your eyes, Brendan, there. You know, it's still... I I can't speak to who those panels were for. I didn't watch them, and you seemed uh, you seemed very upset in the Slack when they were going on. <laughs> um, but I I do think that there is kind of an interesting distinction between. So these are basically, I mean, these are basically the revealing about the same things. They are both very spec heavy, tech heavy reveals intended to happen around GDC week, and it is interesting that Microsoft chose to hand it to an outlet that. People are going to read an article on tech specs at G Digital Foundry because they are really interested in that kind of stuff. Like that, it, it, we're not going to go over there if we don't care about that stuff. Like that's, that's, it's a very like direct audience, I guess. Um, and the PS5 reveal I got, I got the impression like a lot of people, when, when you're watching kind of a video presentation given by like the head of Sony about PS5, I think, I mean, I think a lot of people were just like unaware that this was a GDC week presentation. There were a lot of people watching it who were like, wait, why is this? This is not for me. Why am I watching this? This is so uninteresting. And I, I recognize they were, they were off base in the sense that th this wasn't for them. Like, you know, they, well, it is for them too, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's for them too. Oh, well, I mean, but if, yeah, you don't but care if about it was it, for them, it wasn't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I don't think I don't, it was for them. But. I don't know how many people remember because everyone remembers PlayStation Four launch being so well, but they often forget the um, the reveal of the PlayStation Four was was pretty much that. It was Mark Cerny sitting on stage, everyone going on about how lovely his voice was, and then showing a controller. And then him talking about a load of specs and then all of the mainstream press refusing to cover it because they didn't reveal the look of the console. They didn't reveal any games. Everyone was very angry. Everyone thought it was a massive balls up. And then and then they then E3 happened and then everyone forgot about that. 
And it's, it's sort of it's sort of that early stage, isn't it? It's that point in the marketing campaign where your job is at the moment. You don't really want to excite consumers with games yet because the console's not available to pre-order. You don't want to get people so because you, you, if, you, if if you show a game too early, the the wow factor wears off by the time the product's available. Um, and so you start off by if you're going to do a hype campaign. I actually like the way Nintendo did Switch. I thought that was where yeah, they just went. Here it is. Um, but the um, uh, uh, the uh, if you're going to do a little hype campaign, you start with the hardcore. You start by going. You start by talking about teraflops and all the things nobody understands, because then they get to debate it and get excited about it and get hyped about it and defend it and discuss it and what it all means. And really, it's ultimately going to mean very little. I suspect. I suspect all the games will look roughly the same, um, and uh, unless you have a 75-inch television with 8K monitor or whatever it is, um, and um, and it's at this point where you sort of get people a bit. But most of it is the tech-heavy people. You're talking about the nerdiest of the of the PlayStation and Xbox's audience at this point. And it's only when we start getting to the games and the services and the and the price, which is the real important stuff. I mean, a lot of people forget. I mean, it's interesting. The last generation, Xbox kind of viewed the fact that they were a bit behind PlayStation as a major reason, uh, in terms of hardware power, is one of the major reasons that they um, they messed up a little bit uh, this generation. But I don't necessarily think that's entirely true because I think this is the first time in a generation where the most powerful console was the biggest selling console. I don't um, you think it was Wii and it was PS2. And then it was as PlayStation, all this kind of stuff. Um, so I, I, I think it's, it's exciting and interesting. I don't think it's a big deal. Chris, I um, agree with you. I just the point that I was making was that Digital Foundry was a good place to go to yeah, reach yeah, that yeah. particular I, audience. I agree. Saying, "Hey, we're doing a PS5 video," saying was maybe not the place to go. Yeah, I do. I, even if it weren't part of our sort of broader organisation, I still, and even if the exclusivity sort of guarantees a certain level of kindness, I do think it's. I just like that kind of idea of using a third party to appraise your own hardware. Um, but, but to be honest, I mean, and this one points that um, Rob Farhi made to reference the same column as Brendan from earlier, that, that you know, that, that Sony, uh, I'll, I'll pull up the quote because, you know, he's, Rob speaks better than I do. Um, In the face of Microsoft's openness, this is starting to look oddly reticent and even suspicious from Sony. But in reality, this is much closer to the timeline we'd usually expect for information on a new console. And the point being that the degree of openness Microsoft has shown this far ahead of launch is kind of unprecedented. Like, we know what the console looks like. We've seen the controller. They've talked about how games are going to be sold, how the first party strategy is going to work. All we've really got from Sony is a bunch of specs. And we don't really have a great deal more besides that. So Rob's point was that side by side, um, the way Microsoft's planned it, has made Sony look like it's holding back. But actually, I was chatting to Rob earlier over email, and he actually said that, you know, if, God forbid, coronavirus means that, I, that, that the Xbox is delayed after this year, that could, that could mean everyone's thoroughly bored and tired of the Xbox Series X by the time they actually get their hands on it. And maybe, maybe Sony adopting a, a more kind of usual approach to drip-feeding this information is the way to go. Because on the Xbox, the only thing we don't know yet is the price, really, isn't it? I mean, there's, yeah, there's there's drip feeding and there's not saying anything mm. at all. I think that's that's the thing that's been annoying me a bit with the whole PS5 thing is this presentation was meant for developers, great, but even for developers it was pretty dry in my opinion. I didn't did not enjoy that, but I guess I wasn't the target audience. And also at this point, I think Sony needs to give people a bit more. I'm like. There's probably more you can say than just specs at this point. I think it's it's starting to look, as Rob very well said in his feature, it's starting to look very suspicious. Yeah. Also, on another note, am I the only one not thinking that Sony's voice is weird? Because like everyone seems to be enjoying it, his voice. He has a weird Sony's voice. Sony's voice. Yeah. 
I, I, I get a weird <laughs> asthma thing from it, so maybe that was why I enjoyed the, the <laughs> session. ASMR. The, the thing is, though, with PlayStation, in a different position to Xbox, so yeah, actually, it's not that uncommon, that this trend, where uh, the, com- the company that's the incumbent, the one that's lost the generation, which in this case is Xbox, they've got all this time now to plan for the next one. Right? They're, they're working on making sure they get it right from launch to the next one. But with, um, with PlayStation, they've got two massive AAA games to launch in the next like two months, right? So they they actually don't want to be talking too much about PS5. They want they want people still to be talking about PlayStation 4. They want people to talk about The Last of Us 2 Part 2 and the Ghosts of Shimia game. They want they still want people to be Tsushima. Yeah, Tsushima. Okay. All right. That. Um so they they've got they've got they've got games and consoles to still they want to sell on this generation. Whereas Xbox are, you know, they're looking ahead now. So, you know, they 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 so and that's the slight difference. So you get you get as a result PlayStation get holding back a bit, sure, but then they don't. They're not. They're not in a situation where they they want to sell PS Five at this moment in time, yeah. um, and they will do. But well, they well, they are holding back. But I think Brendan is right in that what they have said, it it probably is just a lot easier for. So Microsoft has gone for the hey everyone look how many teraflops we have approach, and Sony seems to have more thought about actually how. What developers want to hear about it, hear about, and and the best ways to put it. Like I have seen a bunch of people reacting to this stuff on Twitter, and most people do seem to seem to be responding in the dev community. Seem to be responding much much better to what Sony had to say, because I guess they, I'm not a very technically minded person, but I think that they can really see what Mark Sony's talking about and really understand the implications it has for them. Whereas perhaps Microsoft hasn't done such a good job of that. Um, it's listed a bunch of specs, not really contextualized them in any great way. Um, one one person on Twitter uh, said that this that the SSD specs are the biggest single leap of a generation he's ever had experience seen in his professional career. I have no idea why that might be, but there is there that that reaction is one from someone who really understands how games work, how they use information, how worlds are streamed, and all of this sort of stuff. So uh, I would say yes. I, I if if the metric is how easily understood all of this stuff is by consumers then i guess they both kind of failed i suppose but i don't know that this was the function of either of these things i mean did i i haven't you know i've read the highlights of digital foundry but there's no way i'm wading through that piece because i don't really understand most of it you know <laughs> that's not for me either you know that's the way i feel about it but that's why i liked the digital foundry better than i liked the presentation because i felt like i could just add, add a broad look at what that was saying and what I didn't care about I just didn't have to read mm. whereas the PS5 thing I felt like I had to listen to that whole presentation and I did and I hated every single second of it not maybe not every <laughs> single second maybe but most of I, it I will for the for the reading inclined uh, recommend our other another one of our sister sites Eurogamer they had a write up of the PS5 presentation that went up I think right as that whole video started oh um, my bad then. Was, I didn't oh no that. no it okay. was fine you were watching the presentation you weren't looking for articles about the presentation <laughs> no, that was Digital I guess Foundry um, too, but they was it on Digital Foundry too. Yeah, it was a Digital yeah. Foundry article, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. It was. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, so, hosted on Eurogamer. Somebody somewhere on <laughs> in our network wrote an article and it had all Do this the in there, and it was also very good. <laughs> That's all I wanted to say. I think I think what what you were saying earlier, Chris, is a really good point in that. Like, and actually, Rob says this as well that like all of this stuff is largely pointless because the only way we truly get to understand how good either console is when you actually see some games running on them. And in that respect, because of the importance of third party now and how 
particularly on the Microsoft side, the way the first party is these days. I mean, Microsoft is effectively saying it's making every single one of its first party games for the Xbox One as well as the Xbox Series X. And that makes yeah. me really, really, like, that raises a lot of questions about how something like Halo Infinite is going to run on a console that seemed underpowered seven or eight years ago, right? Like, that's that's strange. Whereas Sony's alternate approach means that it can really take advantage of this stuff. I mean, that's... It's a very thin sliver of, of the games available for either of those systems, but um, this, I mean, Sony's first party stuff this generation has been really, really good. And if, if, the, if, if these specs really do lead to the kind of design uh, possibilities that people on, the designers on Twitter seem to think they will do, then we're going to see some really good stuff from first party Sony. I'm not really sure what Microsoft really adds up to given, I mean, what's the point in having the most powerful console when every single game you make for it has to... <laughs> has to function on last generation on last generation's least powerful console so so that's a good point um so i i'm not a tech-minded person um but i have some friends who are and they were kind of explaining some of the stuff um that was revealed uh, to me last night and they were explaining this idea of i I think it was i think it was the ssd i think it was like like the, the way that that works is something like you could you could when you're playing games like, I don't know, like Uncharted or whatever, and you have like these these thin tunnels like in the rock that you have to like squeeze through or whatever because they're like loading a bunch of crap on the other side of it, right? Um, it, it Basically, the idea is that that kind of thing doesn't have to happen anymore because everything will just load. And I thinking about what you just said, Matt, like that... That means that on on the PS5, people would be able to kind of take these shortcuts, right? Like they wouldn't need to design around the fact that levels had to load. But then on, uh, I guess on the Xbox Series X, they might still have to do that because they would have to take into the account the fact, take into account the fact that it would still be on yeah, the Xbox So, so one, the, right? the thing that I, I thought of when I was reading around about this SSD stuff and what it really means actually is a naughty dot. Like at the start of The Last of Us, the very I think it's the very start. You start the game as like a little girl on the night that the the outbreak really happens and it all takes place inside her bedroom and then inside the house so a very a tight confined space very very detailed then at one point the father kind of gathers her up and goes out to the car and you go from being inside a fairly confined little house into the car and you just drive and it's all totally seamless there's no squeezing through a rock and that that seems to me the kind of thing that will become much, much easier to do. Going from like very, very detailed, tight locations into big, expansive locations without the need for a load screen, without the need for any kind of obfuscation or, or shortcuts or, or what I want, like, you know, the squeezing through the rock thing. And that, that's, that sequence is absolutely incredible because even as a non-technical minded person, you appreciate this must be so difficult to do, to go from an environment that looks absolutely immaculate down to the very smallest detail out into a huge wide landscape right like they're, 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 those sorts of transitions are very very difficult to, to pull off naughty dog's excellent that sort of stuff but potentially that kind of experience will be more achievable to more people uh with with these kinds of architectures but that's just you know i don't know that's a guess but yeah, going to what, what you were saying about xbox though the the isn't it just going to work the way it works on PC now? Because like, games now are built... Like, Xbox is... X, like, I'm not saying half of its audience, but a chunk of Xbox's audience going forward will be on on PC. So, and, you know, they'll want Halo Infinite to be available, be playable to the people with the highest-end PC specs, but they also want it to be available to people that don't have those specs. And, I, and the, that's how I look at how they view consoles, right? So Xbox One is the lowest spec... Um, is the lowest spec... Uh, uh, games console you can get and then it and then it, it 
of, of PCs and then the top end specs is Series X and I think that's I think that's the I think that's the Microsoft approach to this right I that mean, is it, the strategy but I think yeah. the question is is that a good idea or not um, because that because I, I think it's fair to say that say like God of War 2 but the, the new God of War 2 whenever that comes out would not work on an Xbox One or anything comparable to that um, what Microsoft is giving up seems to be that um, the, 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 of, the, of these console specs the ones that probably are the least relevant are Microsoft's because you know, the new Xbox because ultimately every game that's built for, the, for that for that setup is going to have to work with, on a as you say Chris on a sliding scale all different kinds of PCs um, the, the old Xbox as well whereas you know a studio like Naughty Dog or Sony Santa Monica can really go for broke and they don't have to worry about the lowest common denominator yeah. at all and, and, that, and I think that and that's true and I think that's exciting from the perspective of it actually feels a little bit like the old marketing campaigns of both Xbox and PlayStation it feels like never underestimate the power of PlayStation that the power is quite unique whereas the uh, Xbox is the most powerful games console on earth but that doesn't actually amount to different types of gameplay but I think I, I, I'd argue the more important thing is having the bigger audience right is having that big audience mass audience that you can reach across multiple different things and if that involves making your games as widely accessible as possible um, that will probably be more powerful than the fact that you can do some clever things with the SSD but, but I mean but in terms of pure specs in terms of excitement which is what we're talking about this week yeah it probably is it probably is the most interesting development yeah well I think that they're, they're, I mean that you've got different experiences that will excel in either environment so like your favourite game famously Chris is Sea of Thieves I mean I, I think it that's come from Microsoft and that seems to sort of embody a certain aspect of Microsoft's thinking of the last of the last generation or so opening up the platform in that way whereas i guess the stuff that's really stood out on sony's platform is very single player focused you know quite tight immaculately turned out but ultimately it doesn't surprise me too much that sea of thieves hasn't come out of playstation uh, this generation it's on pc though yeah it is. and i play with a load of pc players <laughs> it's good and oh, I can yeah. stream it to my and I can stream it to my Mac here and have my brother come over and we could do couch co-op and he plays on the Mac and I play on the on the Xbox. Chris is team Teach. Xbox, I'm team PlayStation, I guess. Oh let's be honest, let's be honest, I'm all about the Nintendo. Um, <laughs> You're Tim Nintendo, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> we all know we're that. All it's all playing it. Animal Crossing, we? that's, that's the <laughs> I put Animal Crossing down to do this podcast. Yeah, it's like did you see Show your hands. Did you see Daniel's um, tweet where he did a where he did a thing where he did like Xbox's specs and they did PlayStation specs and they did Nintendo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crossing, yeah, that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. That's good. Hello, UK editor and podcast editor James Batchelor here with a quick caveat. Specialist retailer GameStop has announced over the weekend that its stores will be closed to help prevent the spread of COVID-19. However, this was not the case when this podcast was recorded on Friday, March 20th. The conversation we had extended beyond GameStop's stance at the time to cover the virus's impact on the wider industry and particularly games retail. Therefore, we're presenting the discussion in full. Um, cool. So on a, on a far less positive note, um coronavirus still bad um getting worse uh several several areas are shutting down uh san mateo county in california um is on basically a shelter in place order i literally just looked at twitter because i was expecting another update and it looks like michigan the whole state of michigan is shut down um 
in spite of these shutdowns, so in in these shutdowns, um, they're mandating generally that only essential services be open. So grocery stores, um, you know, obviously medical facilities, uh, things like that. Uh, GameStop, a video game retailer uh, here in the U.S., uh, is refusing to shut down, at least as of last night, um, because it considers itself an essential business. There was a story earlier this week um, from Vice and Kotaku uh, that uh, GameStop was going to go ahead and cancel all of its in-store events. Good job. However, um, there were employees who were not happy because there was a, there's a serious lack of cleaning supplies uh, to keep their stores sanitary. Uh, they didn't have enough hand sanitizer. They were being told to get it locally, even though stores are being just sold out of that stuff. Um, so there was already kind of some negative press around GameStop, and there was already you know kind of some some eyeballs on it, wondering you know what what they were doing there. Um, they say that due to the products we carry that enable and enhance our customers' experience in working from home, we believe GameStop is classified as essential retail and therefore is able to remain open during this time. Sorry, that was a memo that was sent to employees that was then sent to Vice and Kotaku from some anonymous employees. And then GameStop responded by confirming that that memo was real to IGN, and then they provided a list of essential products that the store sold, uh, which include webcams, microphones, mice, keyboards, monitors, chargers, audio equipment, and more. Um, I reached out to San Mateo County in California and asked them if GameStop counted as an essential business. And uh, San Mateo got back to me late last night and they said that they have advised GameStop that it is not an essential business, but they have not yet dedicated resources to enforcement because they hope that uh, it'll just be a good citizen and comply anyway. So right now GameStop is trying really hard to stay open and calling itself essential, even though it's really probably not. I like that the state is trying to guilt trip them into doing the right thing yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well i do it is, i mean i don't know what it's like in the uk if um in the uk unless the government says you have to close down you can't claim any insurance or anything really you can't get any financial protections so i don't know if there's a i don't know if there's a i don't know what it's like i don't know the u.s rules on this sort of thing um I, um that's the reason why all the shops are still open here um until we're to- they're told to close they're going to stay open because if they close then they're just going to go bust um and you know and to some people you know obviously it, it it's it's you know suddenly being told you've got to self-isolate for three months and oh by the way you have no money to pay your mortgage or buy any food is uh is is quite terrifying um so i don't know i don't know i don't know why GameStop are doing that there must be a reason why they want to stay open apart from that you know it's the terrible quarter as well for this is supposed to be this is the quarter they were probably looking forward to there's some well, games coming out i mean I'll, um, I, I'll yeah. I'll yeah. Take... I think there's there's a difference yeah, go on, Marie. No, sorry you go, you go. No, I just wanted to say quickly, there's a difference between staying open because you feel like you don't have a choice and you're waiting for the government to act and staying open and saying you're essential retail, though. Like, you could, you the could, government could stay has open. Acted at this point, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you could stay open and, and shut up about it. But, but I don't take that as just self importance on GameStop's part. I, I take that as a fairly weak justification for what it seems is in a completely necessary act. I, I, I read this as it knows that when it, if it says it closes its stores without knowing exactly when they're going to open up again, they may never open up again. Because, I mean, so basically like this, we're, 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 so when we're talking about like people don't want to cl- close the shops until they're ordered to and stuff, I mean, that's fine because I there's a few cafes near me that have just shut down. Like they, they know they can't weather this storm. They've shut down. But that's like a sole trader. That's a small business with a with razor thin margins or whatever. I mean, a, a company as big as GameStop is supposed to be able to weather two or three months of this. But I don't know whether it's just, um, whether it's taking it too far to suggest that this kind of, what seems to me like a pretty desperate act, you know, we are as essential as 
you know, cemeteries and pharmacies and all of this stuff. Whether that, that seems to be an act of desperation on the part of the company that knows that it hasn't got three months of no business in it. That if it does this, yeah, the second I, those doors close, it's basically admitting that that's it. I mean, is that too yeah, much? Because I, I don't know retail. No, I think, I think that's accurate because so I was looking, I, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing this based off what I remember, but I, I saw a thing that went out from Best Buy, which I don't know how successful Best Buy is currently, but I would venture to say that it is probably more stable than GameStop at the moment. Um, and Best Buy had a whole thing going out and it was, it was similar to GameStop's in a list of things they were doing. They were, you know, limiting store hours. They had a policy where if you wanted to call, if, if you had like an order to pick up, you could call and they would like come meet you outside or whatever. Um, so they had all these things. And among them was um, if employees are either sick of any kind during this time, or if they just don't want to come to work because they are afraid of like the spread of the virus, um, you know, they, they will let them have that time off and they will pay them as if they were normally coming in. They will just continue to pay their employees. And that's something that Best Buy is capable of doing. And the thing that, the thing that really rubbed me the wrong way in the original GameStop story before they started classifying themselves as an essential business, um, is that they were just giving employees no information as to what their pay was going to be like if they took off during this time. So like GameStop is staffed. I mean, GameStop does have some full-time employees and it also has a lot of part-time employees who are just, you know, students or whatever working who, you know, probably don't, I, I've never worked at GameStop. I don't know what their policy is, but I assume they don't have like a lot or any sick leave because they're part-time. Um, and so they were just sort of letting everybody sort of figure it out. And they were telling him, if you're sick at all, stay home, don't come in. But there was the, the employees that spoke to Kotaku and Vice were saying like, we don't know, we have to use our vacation time or our sick time or our personal time and we don't have a lot of it. So it was it was a really stressful situation for people you know who could potentially be sick for you know two or three weeks or who have to self quarantine or all these other things, and I feel like if GameStop was in a this is I mean it's it's unfortunate that it happened at this particular time for GameStop specifically because I think you're right Matt I think they can't weather this and I think they can't weather it in a way that takes care of their employees I. I think you're right, because I think that the, the the correct and ethical thing to do here would be to pay employees and shut down. But I, I don't think that I think they're trying as hard as they can to. When the stuff originally came out on Wednesday, I thought, OK, they're just trying desperately to hang on till Friday for the Doom Animal Crossing release to get that last little bump in revenue. And then they're probably going to shut down like on Monday or something. But this little thing where they're trying to get around the essential business thing, I I don't know. I think they're trying to grasp it like the last bit that they have and I just that whole situation underlined it right I wrote the story about that where they were like selling Doom a day early because both those games coming out on the same day just guaranteed there'd be loads of people in the store and it just kind of underlined how we're not an essential business and that's also really quite a dangerous thing to do like what game I mean GameStop's obviously tried to diversify its business in any number of ways but the things that it tries to build up to and looks forward to and relies upon are these big event launches where it cram where they want loads and loads of people in the shop right that's what retail is basically and so that is kind of an untenable position for them there's only there's only one way to remain open and that's to look incredibly shabby and and you know and uh uncaring about the well-being of employees and the public it's it's a very tough position i mean i feel like chris you probably should have some sort of insight to offer us here on on the because i suppose we talked a lot about the impact of of uh, coronavirus and and what what will or won't be badly affected by an extended shutdown but actually it hadn't really occurred to me that the retail might actually be genuinely hurt in a way that it won't wouldn't easily recover from in terms of these big brands yeah it, 
it's it, it's it, this is the thing. Games actually is a industry. You look at it; it's digital. You look at developers who can, you know, starting to learn to work from home at the moment, and that's all really cool. And and you know, you think it's quite a resilient business, and it is. But there are all these back end businesses that rely on physical. They rely on face to face. The distribution firms, um, retailers, peripherals, manufacturers, the excess merchandise companies. You know, the whole China lockdown really really kill really really put a lot of accessories firms they were panicking they were, i got messages from people saying i actually don't know if i'm gonna be able to survive this year fortunately china have managed to stay up about 60 percent capacity at the moment their warehouses so they're, they're starting to uh, ramp back up a little bit but um but and it's not during the important part of the year the important part of the year is christmas and that is the uh, that's the thing that uh, that will be a real problem last year was bad for games retail it was really bad and um the start of this year has been atrocious um and uh, they'll be, but, but their investors and um, associated businesses are all going. But the end of the year is going to be amazing. There's going to be some big games. We've got Cyberpunk, and you've got about to say Avengers. I don't know. Is that big? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure it's going to be good. Put it that way. You know, there's, there's, there's no there's a, there's, okay, Cyberpunk, um, and um, and then there's and then there's new consoles, right? And there's Halo and all this kind of mm. stuff. And it's going to be big. It's going to be huge. And Nintendo, well, they'll show something, and they'll get everyone excited as well. Um, but um, uh, so you know, investors and stuff aren't being too harsh on them because they know that there's going to be a, a jump uh, towards the end of the year. They need to get to the end of the year, um, and you know, Microsoft and Sony will want to get them to the end of the year. They want them to be there, and if they can, if we, if the governments, and I think the governments are putting these things in place to try and protect businesses as much as they can. If if that happens, and PlayStation and Xbox and some of the big companies that rely on them, particularly um, for selling consoles. Um, towards the end of the year are perhaps kinder with their terms or that kind of stuff you know they might get there um but this is this is a side of the industry that is really on a delicate balance and it's a bit weird at the moment because the games industry video games are still 60 50 percent sold physically so on triple a games not overall so if you look let's say borderlands or, or, or death stranding or whatever still mostly sold in a box um but obviously the shift has now got to the point now where physical retail struggling to survive but then what happens if you if physical goes does all those people the 50 percent that bought it in a box or 60 percent that bought it in a box are they going to go just switch to digital or do they disappear and that's the fear do we lose that audience and um and um so i don't think the industry is quite ready to lose it's more ready than it was a couple of months a couple of years ago but um i don't know if the industry is ready to lose GameStop and game. Um, well, and, and GameStop, GameStop and game and EB Games, you know, have have a particular problem too with this with this particular with with, with coronavirus yeah. being the thing that they are facing, right? Because I even if you are really excited about physical, you can still order it off Amazon, oh, right? Yeah. You can still get it, and and yeah, that's there's still like a little bit of risk there, but the the risk is far less than going into a crowded store. And Amazon is going to keep on chugging throughout all of this. They're not closing down. You might get your game a little bit late, as we've seen, but you're still going to get it. Um, and so I I would suspect, especially because. <sighs> I mean, there's so much. There's a lot of information out there, and we don't really know what the nature of this is going to be. Is it going to last, you know, one month, two months, three months? Is it going to, you know, go down in the summer and then come back in the fall? We don't really know. Um, and I, I think that 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 puts GameStop and, and these other retailers in a really, really risky position, where even if they do manage to reopen, they might just have to close again, or they might not be able to have these big events or you know anything like that. Whereas Amazon is just for everybody way less risky. And I think even if even if everything opens back up and we we try try again, I think we see more people gravitate towards buying online. Well, that's well. the thing to consider as well. Like so, if say stores are shut for two months, 
pick pick a figure out there. Um, what if the virus impact does mean that some of these big releases releases are delayed? What do, what if it does mean that we don't see new consoles launched? GameStop could open up and actually still have none of the big stuff it relies on to sell in order to you know what I mean? Like this, the 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 actual problem isn't necessarily limited to just how long it has to close its doors for. It could be what products it has to sell when it opens those doors again. Um, it is. Yeah. And, you know, and, you, and this is the thing. It's interesting, actually. I, I, I was trying to I was going to do a tweet about it, but I realised I don't know the answer. And it's far too complicated, right? Because I know there are games that aren't that far from completion that are due for the end of the year. So the ones where, you know, everyone having to learn to work from home isn't it, it, it's they're still probably going to hit their timelines. But they're all launch titles for the next generation of consoles, um, you know, because they've been working on them for ages, building up to this moment. Some games aren't there, but some games are actually quite far along. Um, and I know that they're they're almost complete. And there are some games which are, everyone's trying to rush out before the next generation hits, like Cyberpunk and that kind of stuff. Just get it out quickly. And those games probably are the ones that are going to get slipped. So if they get slipped and they end up launching too close to the next generation of consoles, do you push back the next generation of consoles if the next generation of consoles can be manufactured in enough quantities? But if you do that, the games actually will be ready. You know, do, do you launch Halo Infinite at the end of the year still, even if the Xbox Series X isn't coming out? Um... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you do in that situation. Um, um, and it's and it's and it's interesting. So I I don't. Um, but the the thing with um, the thing with uh, uh, retail. One of the things that retail perhaps publishers and suppliers can do to help them out a little bit is the fact that you're right. Online retail exists and it's carrying on. Amazon is dominant. It's the dominant power, um, and it has been for years and years and years. All game and GameStop have online retail. That it's not as dominant, but suppliers and, and those sort of companies they can perhaps do something about that. You know, they can give these stores exclusives or special bundles or even better discounts. Amazon are busy selling um, food supplies to people at the moment, getting them important things. So maybe, maybe while they're delaying your launch, you know, they're saying, "Oh, you won't get Final Fantasy VII on launch day." Maybe it is in the interest of Square Enix and EA and Activision and stuff to perhaps pivot to these other online stores um, as their primary distribution channels. So you were you were you were mentioning the um, work from home transition for game development, and how mm. things might get delayed. How do you QA a launch title for a new console with work from home QA? Like, are you are you taking this notoriously underpaid and large chunk of your workforce and giving them all? the dev kits of the fancy brand new hardware that are going to be hard to come by anyways are, are we they just kind of sorry i mean they'll all have a con all the testers will have their own like piece of hardware right right I mean, do you send it do you send it out of the office mm. to each of their their homes do you i don't know if it's if it's common practice at many places but also when you have enough. that you can't really do the like round the clock three shifts of of testers using the same using the same console kind of trick like um i, I used to work in testing and it, we didn't do that but um uh yeah i mean obviously that isn't common practice to take home highly sensitive technology um but um i guess that will have they'll have to i'm sure they'll relax that in order to make that i mean they must do right um well, I mean, I think, you know, there's going to be some friction there. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, there's no reason why we would have any sense yet of what that impact is going to be. I, 
for, for whatever reason, and I don't know enough about it to, to be totally certain, but I just feel like there must be some impact on the release of key products from all of this. There must be some, because even just the transition to homework is going to... I mean, the, you know, the production of AAA games, like every part relies... Every subsequent part relies on the previous part being completed on time and in, in an efficient manner and so on. If one of those parts doesn't work, the rest don't work properly as well. And I feel like... You know, we're not going to hear about any delays to a product coming out in November in March. They won't announce it for probably a couple of months yet, right? Like, because they may not even realise. They may all be having their fingers crossed, hoping that all of this just blows over really quickly. But, you know, we'll, See, we are at a point where we have literally no idea how long these disruptions would be in place for. It could be months. I think any games that, are, uh, that, have, um, that have a that are basically they're being worked on right up until launch right up until they go it's about, you know five weeks before launch i think they will probably be delayed i think that's that's inevitable how long i'm not i don't know um uh, i think there are some games though that are further along but actually answer your point brendan a lot you can distribute code you can test games streaming particularly in things like particularly now so um there are means to be able to you know you take you know have it running on a server somewhere and then distribute it to a number of testers to work on in that way that's one of the cool things that that's one of the things that um ea were talking about we did an interview with them last year um that that the you know actual cloud in in development particularly in testing can be quite powerful and i know that it's already been rolled out to a number of places i don't know how commonplace it is but that's something that i guess might be escalated well this is something that google was pushing with stadia as well as cloud development and how easily you could share builds and and do that kind of stuff like that but but you know I, I suppose you know in terms of i mean in terms of linking it back to the the point of what's happening at gamestop um i just feel like the it, they're in a dicey situation we actually I, something happened this week we have a function within the company a guy that like looks at sort of opportunities and passes them down and actually chris and i were sent this thing that um, a film magazine called empire magazine had done which was a, there's a direct film director Edgar Wright who directed the uh, the excellent Scott Pilgrim versus the world and the much less excellent Baby Driver. He um, he wrote a piece about because all the because all the cinemas are closing down. Nice. And, he, and he, no, it's true. It's definitely true. Uh, <laughs> d- diminishing returns from that dude. Um, but all the cinemas are closing down in the UK. And Empire got him in to write this sort of you know passionate column about spare a thought for for you know the old cinema and the, the big screen and all of this sort of stuff and i was thinking like could we replicate that and i think you no. know you were on that email as well chris well no so here's the thing and yeah, and like and the, and the and <laughs> well, no no but but beyond that like and i was thinking but what would the equivalent be because instinctively i'd be like oh it would be someone who owns like an independent you know game shop or whatever right about game shops but it's not like that is it that would be like cliffy b like writing spare a thought for GameStop in this time of hardship or whatever. And I don't, is there any, is there any, uh, do we think there's any real kind of love or nostalgia within the development community for games retail anymore? That's the question that I ask myself because there clearly yeah, is among I mean, creatives in, in other, in other industries, like musicians love vinyl and, you know, whatever it might be, but. Right. I, I would suggest the pe- the piece you're pitching should actually be spare a love for the arcade yeah, or spare a thought for the yeah, arcade. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. 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 So there's, there's nostalgia for the way we experienced things. There's, there's nostalgia for the arcade. Like Rebecca mentioned, there's nostalgia for physical media. I mean, yeah. so many, so many games get physical releases now specifically just because of that nostalgia. 
I don't think that there is nostalgia for the game's retail experience, really. Maybe yeah. maybe there were some people that you hung out with at, at Funko Land that was just a nice place to, to chill in the, in the summer, but for the most part, like, going to the theater and seeing a movie on the big screen, you know, in, in the summer, you get in there, you get this giant thing of popcorn that's not like the popcorn you can make at home, and it's absolutely frigid there because they got the AC cranked <laughs> so high, and and it's so loud, the, the THX logo comes in, and your molars are rattling. Like... There's an experience to it that people get. We're all on webcam and we're all smiling and laughing right now because we all have this experience you're talking about. Like people romanticize it and they have for for decades. There, there's like people just kind of get that's a very different experience than watching a movie at home on TV. But with with games, it's it's never been the heart of the experience has never been fundamentally different, I don't think, because of the store that you bought it from and that's why i don't think that there's likely to be much of a you know comparable push so there is this shop it's not there anymore so this kind of ruined it but um (laughs) in in cambridge great story chris (laughs) it was called gametron and um it was this tiny little indie thing it was sandwiched between a british heart foundation charity shop and a snooker club and um, it looked like t- you couldn't see through the windows. It was all plastered up with a load of anime stuff that I couldn't I couldn't even see through. And you go in there, and there's a couple of DVDs at the front, and at the back is this beautiful treasure trove of just video games stuff. And it's so much imported things they had. And the thing for me, I used to go in there every single day when I was at university, and they had a Panasonic Q, which for those that don't remember what that is that is the D GameCube that had a DVD player built into it. And it was only released in. G- I have one at home right I, here. It's my favorite. It's the thing I, I I'm jealous. I've always, I used to covet it. I used to go in every time and just stare at the, that thing through the glass cabinet. And the guy who worked behind the counter was a guy called Jay. I think he might have owned the store. I don't know. And he used to he used to have all these Dreamcasts and stuff he built and all this kind of thing. Orange Dreamcast, all this sort of thing. I'm never that interested in that, but they were all really fascinating. They had a little sofa at the front. And we used to pick up, we used to plug in an old Nintendo 64 game and all that kind of stuff. We used to play and that kind of thing. And it was, it was a place for me to hang out. And I only ever, sometimes, to be fair, the first like half a year I went in there, I just looked at all the things I, wasn't, I couldn't afford to buy because I was a student. Um, and then and then as I started to go in there I started to make friends and it started becoming a little place place to hang out and you know what there's there's some there are those stories that exist um, Ben Parfit who used to uh, uh, used to be an online editor at MCV and he's now at Jagex he, he used to go into the local game station in um, his local thing that's how he knew one of our writers Charlotte one of our team members sorry Charlotte um, who um, uh, and he used to go in there all the time and just hang out with the people play some games chat games buy some stuff every now and again um, and um, and I think there's a bit of that you know it's not experiencing the games but it's the it's that sort of um that sort of club that's that's the thing they're trying to do with belong right and that's what GameStop are trying to do with um their their sort of networks to try and keep yeah. that side of retail that sort of nostalgic that sort of lovely community side of retail alive even if um, nobody's actually buying anything physical anymore and I do well, that was that. the thing that I was going to say is it's kind of a bummer because I just, you know, I went to those concept stores, you know, just like not even not even a month ago, I don't think, uh, I, or maybe about a month ago. And 
you know, they were kind of cool. Like, I mean, I, I had my criticisms of them, but generally they were, you know, a pretty cool experience. And the people in the store that I talked to seemed to be having a really good time. And my thought was, you know, I, I this is going to have some kinks. This is not going to be perfect everywhere. They're going to have to be flexible in how they roll this out. But if they could turn all their game stops into something like this that worked in, you know, what their respective areas, this could this could help them. This seems like a good idea. The idea being to get people into their stores um, and then from that, people would buy things like the idea just being that people just aren't even showing up at the stores anymore being their problem. And I, I was like, okay, I'm, I, I'm on board with that theory that that works for me. And now like, I mean, even, even if they weather, you know, all of this somehow, I, it's going to be real hard to get that going again after all this to, to get, get, get people back in the mindset of like being able to come into community spaces where they might be touching a bunch of stuff that a bunch of other people have touched before them. And I, I, I feel, I feel bad because that experiment seemed really good, but yeah, I feel like we'll never know if it would have worked no! because of all of this. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame. I'm convinced it wasn't going to work uh, for the okay. same reason <laughs> that it didn't work to keep arcades alive and that yeah, Chris's favorite enough. store went under and that <laughs> comic shops have, <laughs> by and large, just, you know, gone under left and right. Like these, those are great experiences that you can have and a real fondness for it. But the, the core of the business is what you're actually selling. And there aren't new arcade games that are going to really draw people in and make them drop enough money to make that worthwhile in that situation. The, you don't need to go into a store to buy a game anymore. You don't need to buy your comics from the dude that like pulls it off the rack and then keeps it in the box of your subscriptions in the back for you and you pick them up every week. That doesn't happen. But, but you've got you've got it is a little different right because when I we were kids when arcades went under we used to go around each other's houses to play games people don't do that anymore um, it's like because it, all the games are only playable single player so uh, or, or online multiplayer so it's um, it's uh, that's so you one can of the get the social I, part of it without having to go right. into the arcade the, for it I think so uh, the cheesy the cheesy made up and well maybe not made up but the cheesy anecdote that they told us that I did not put in the article because it was a cheesy anecdote um, was that the uh, uh, the guy the guy's son uh, was home and he he had his friends over and they were all in the same room and they were playing Fortnite but you can't you can't really play Fortnite in local co-op so they will, were all playing Fortnite together on like different devices or whatever and they finally got bored. Um, because it was really hard to like talk to each other across the room, like you know, playing whatever they were doing. And so his friend like got, gets up and gets ready to go home, and he's like, "Oh, where's he going? Oh, he's going home so we can play Fortnite together." Um, and so he went home. And so his theory, his his idea was, okay, well, what if they didn't have to go home to play Fortnite together? What if we just you know had the technology and had the station set up so they could play Fortnite together, but still in the same room? And so that was. That was the idea. It was getting people back together yeah, in the sure. same room to play I mean, again, but having the technology to make. I that do make find sense. that, yeah. I mean, obviously, no one wants anyone to fail, or you know, because the failure of either any of these businesses would result in job losses, and that's that's a terrible thing. We're, yeah. we're talking more or less in the abstract here about what they represent and so on. And you know, I'm like Chris. Like, I had SES computers. It was my my place. I had loads of like weird imported games where I learned about a lot of games, styles of games, so on. Like it was an education. S3 computers was another one. They used to be quite ubiquitous back in the day. But you know, there would be something... Mm, 
in a way it feels like it's it's improper for something like GameStop to kind of be the thing to bring that experience of the game shop as hangout back anyway because they're the bloody reason it disappeared in the first place or businesses like that right <laughs> the, the, though that independent experience became much much less difficult to justify because of these the, the, the bigger brands the, the much more efficient way of operating and so on and it would be like you know trying to you know graft a human soul onto the terminator or whatever i don't know that it to me it kind of really feels right um for that to be the case or, or at least it, it seems like a bit rich for that to be yeah. the new direction right like let, let's get back this thing we basically stopped from existing because now it suits us for it to be there back. are there in the uk there are still 200 independent game stores there's one in my town called um entertainment base mm. there we are they make all their money they, all make, they, they make all of their money from, uh, from fixing iPods but they are they're still there um, they're still on the high street um, they've got a great big Luigi outside the front of the store um, but it's um, but yeah no so they, they, those will suffer I think that'll be a shame yeah I I don't know I, I, I think I think there, there are things to be nostalgic about but I think the thing that like we it should go without saying, but I feel like we have to at least sort of cap this with is that whatever the whatever this experience was to anyone or whatever they would have done or could have done, like it's not it's not worth endangering people's health and safety. No, yet. certainly not. No, and, and it's it's not it's not it's not an essential business. It's not essential. Of, we can and, we can. And one of the upshots of this is because the you know I've I've seen a couple of console transitions in my career as a journalist now, and one of the, and and the 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 discussion around retail and its relative health and stuff has taken place on both. So that's going back, what, 14 years or something. Um, but one of the things was, it's like, well, but, you know, a console transition needs retail to happen. And say the consoles do come out in time, but everything's still a bit dubious as far as physical retail. This could be, you know, much like we were talking about E3 and GDC and so on, and whether this would make people reconsider the value of those propositions. This could be a transition that happens without retail almost by necessity, without physical retail by necessity. And once that's happened, that's been proved or not. And I think that in itself is a slight existential risk to, to physical retail. Because then we would see how easy it is too for everyone who still goes to stores just to sit at home and order through Amazon or whatever. And maybe it, maybe it doesn't feel that painful. And this, this actually puts the question of how the retail model works as well under pressure because games consoles are sold almost at a loss, right? There's no margin in them, not even for shops, not even for retailers, not for Microsoft, not for, not for anybody. They're sold as cheaply as they possibly can be sold so that they can sell it to as many people as possible so people buy the games. And that's how Game and GameStop do things. That's why PlayStation 5's launch is important, not because they sell lots of PlayStation 5s, because they sell lots of PlayStation 5 games. Now, if the, you lose the specialists and you move and you're reliant on the mainstream retailers or the, the mass market, the big box retailers, they are not going to be entirely happy giving up masses of shelf space for products that don't make them big margins. So you'd end up having to either increase the costs of the consoles so they make bigger margins, like, like Apple do, because Apple are almost entirely reliant on, the, on, the, on, on making money from the hardware, or you, you try and somehow subsidise it with the games. But these box retailers, they don't sell as many games as GameStop and Game. And this is where we end up into a, in a slightly, what that means for the price of hardware going forward is... Anyway, this is all very abstract. <laughs> Who knows? But. On that abstract note, James is going to yell at me if this goes on any longer. <laughs> um, you can always go back... Do and you look, want... Oh, what? 
No, sorry. Before we finish, do you want to talk about Animal Crossing for 30 seconds to tell everyone how amazing it is? We've been going for 55 is? minutes. Everybody, okay. the world is Maybe. on fire. James won't be angry. Digitally, Rebecca just wants to get back to Animal Crossing. Digitally that's download that's Animal on, Crossing though. and play it because it's good <laughs> and it will make you feel better. That's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can always go back and listen to previous episodes of this podcast on all good podcasting platforms. Once you're on that good podcasting platform, consider subscribing so it'll let you know whenever another episode appears. And you can and should get your daily dose of news and insight into the world behind games at gamesindustry.biz. Music